And everybody said amen. Dennis travels the nation. He brings revival everywhere he goes. He's written a great book over there on the table. And he's got uh, messages over there. You want to visit his table. Uh, he's got four kingdom daughters. And he travels and leaves his family to come bless the body of Christ. The Bible says this. Jesus said this. Receive a prophet in the name of a prophet. Meaning honor him when he comes. Meaning be receptive and honor him. And the anointing that God has put on him, Jesus has put on into the body, literally will go from him into you. That's how it works. So, let's be open-hearted. Oh, yeah. And let's let the children go on to children's church. Selah's looking at me. Yeah. The worship pastor's daughter's on the edge of the sea going, hey. Yeah. Children are going to go to children's church. Let's thank our children's church workers, our children's pastor. Thank you for taking care of our kids, raising up the next generation. And let's now welcome Dennis Rainier to the Gathering Place Church. Get him, Dennis. God bless you guys. How you guys doing this morning? Good. All right. One guy's doing really good up front here. Amen. Praise God. That's good news. Hi, my name's Dennis Rainier. For those of you who don't know who I am, uh, I'm from Bozeman, Montana, and have a beautiful wife that pastors a local church that we started back in uh, 1999 in Tani. And I have four daughters as... Uh, pastor was just saying, and so I ask everybody to keep me in prayer because I'm the only man in my house, and I have not been right in a long time. Amen. All right. So praise God. So um, uh, we have a couple other uh, things that we do: revival cry, myself, and some others that we train over over the years are uh, stirring up kingdom and people, and, and seeing them uh, release kingdom wherever they go as we try to equip people in the body of Christ. Uh, it's really interesting. I mean, this week I've been with, with um, gang members. Uh, out of LA to be with folks like you. It's just the diversity of the body of Christ that God is bringing up. It's, it's amazing uh, to see what he's doing and, and, and things as well. I was just texting my wife uh, two nights ago. Uh, they said, pray for me. I'm, a, I'm in a house full of all gang gangsters, you know. And so, uh, but you know, God is God is raising up people um, like that that are becoming evangelists and, 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 you know, reaching their communities and pastoring their communities now. It's just awesome. To see what God is doing. We have another ministry that's a network of ministers and, and, and um, that they'll call to run together. Uh, there's probably about 50 ministries and ministers that are a part of that. And then we have a ministry where we rescue uh, children at risk and young girls and some young boys actually out of sex trafficking. Uh, we've been doing that for about 20 years. And so we're excited about that. Last year, even before COVID broke out, uh, we were able to do one conference because we do what's called John 151 conferences all over the nation. And in doing that, we were able to uh, rescue over 200,000 uh, kids in India last year, even in the midst of COVID. So we're really excited about that awesome. and what God's doing um, in that. Uh, Jesus said uh, uh, to us simply, pray uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the word pray uh, actually doesn't mean what some people in church think it means. Um, it, it's not God lacking motivation, not God lacking inspiration to change things. We're not praying to get God to change things. Uh, the Bible says that pray means that God would change your heart. Amen? Like the, the fulfillment of how God plans to do things is through us. Amen? And it's not about like doing it separate from God. It's God through us. Amen? Yeah. And so we're not elevating ourselves above God either. Amen? Uh, but, uh, but it doesn't only mean that God would change your heart, but it means that he would make you a solution for the things he changes your heart with. And so I say, oh, that's why we were rescuing kids and stuff too, because the spiritual is also meant to be practical. It's meant right. to make a difference right here in Escondido, I think is where we're at uh, this morning, if I'm right, because I follow my directions. But uh, pray, praise the Lord. Uh, this is a pretty nice little, uh, uh, well, it's not little, it's big, huh? It's a big facility, amen. And this is awesome, amen. Praise God, you're gonna be outdoors, the sun's coming out and, and things as well. But uh, that's just a little bit about myself. Uh, but um, I also do have a book over there. It's called Shaking Heaven and Earth. Um, it's really a now word from the body of Christ. I thought that was a close-up that was a little bit closer than most people want to see me. All right. Yeah, praise the Lord. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see me that close. That's scary. Uh, but praise the Lord. Uh, but I do have this book over there. Uh, this is a now book for this now. Uh, it's a now season. You know, there was actually a vision that God gave me in the beginning of this book. The, uh, with a bow and an arrow. Uh, arrows were being launched in the heavens and they were plummeting back toward the earth. And the Lord had showed me uh, that the hand actually had a glove on it. And the reason why there was a glove on it was to 
conceal the identity of where the arrows were coming from and how the body of Christ would be unable to know what was happening and who was responsible for what was happening unless they were actually hearing the voice of God for themselves. Amen? And so it's important uh, that, that you yourself are actually having that kind of a relationship with God. Amen? We'll talk more about that. I also have a USB. Um, I, don't have actually, I don't actually have any with me. I sold out of them. I keep selling out of them. There's over 66 hours of teaching that is on this uh, little uh, USB. It's not just meant for fashion, okay? Uh, it's actually it's meant for uh, growing. It's a supernatural school. Uh, it has uh, 66 hours of teaching on the prophetic, on your identity in Christ, and on um, healing, both on how to receive and how to minister. Amen? And so that's all here. The book is actually on here as well. If you're interested in that, um, I think it's Mike, Michael, or uh, yeah, Mike. He's helping me at the table, and he'll help you over there if you need that. Amen? All right. Well, I'm done with all my commercials, and we're going to go ahead and, and, and pray for a moment. Amen? So, so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace. For, Lord God, your presence is better than life. It's better than life itself. So, Lord, we're asking, Lord God, for you, Lord God, to reveal yourself to us, to show yourself to us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord, and feet even to accomplish what it is that you have for us to do in this season and in this time. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for what you're going to do and what you are doing. In Jesus' precious name, we all said amen. Well, um, at the beginning of, the, of this year, uh, my daughter, Jordan, my oldest daughter, she's 22 years old. Uh, she's, she graduated from college last year. Um, you know, during all of the all of the mess of the pandemic and, and things, and and so she was planning on going to graduate school. But the first part of graduate school, she uh, was not able to do it in person, so she was doing it online. Her school is in Boston, Massachusetts, so um, so she was trying to get a job and trying to figure out how to move, and and you know that was my advice not to move without getting a job. And so she's 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 trying to figure out all, all this in the pandemic and she's beating herself up because she can't really figure out like how to move forward really like most of us right and then it was trying to figure out how to do that was a little bit of a challenge and so you know she finally found a job in the midst of all of this and so as as we moved into christmas time which is usually the time where i'm resting and and, and things uh, so but she's able to move out to Boston, Massachusetts. She found a roommate and she's, they were gonna have a class that was gonna be open that was gonna allow her to uh, be able to do what she wanted to do in terms of getting a teaching certificate and things to be a professor. Anyway, all of this is going on. There is a reason why I'm telling this story, not just to, not, not just to like, you know, tell you about my family, okay? And, and, and so we're, so she, so the day after Christmas, we had packed up all of her, um, all of her car with all of her belongings and I'm gonna I'm gonna drive her car across the nation nation so she doesn't have to do it, and and so she's um uh, she's gonna fly with her mom, um, her youngest sister, and 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 they're gonna meet me there so that way she doesn't have to try to figure out COVID and all the rioting and all these kinds of things that are going on weather. And so, anyways, we arrived there. And my wife had a different idea uh, uh, about what the trip was gonna be than I did. Um, you know, she was thinking we were going there for domestic reasons. We were going to help her set up her apartment, her room. Um, she, we were going to teach her how to grocery shop, you know, maybe cook a little bit so she could figure out how to live, you know, that those kinds of things are important. And so, uh, you know, so she, you know, but as soon as we get there, you know, everything's different than what we thought it was really going to be. So, uh, you know, she has to park her car on the street. And so, you know, parking in Boston, Massachusetts is different than Montana. In Montana, we actually just think there's space to park and we take it for granted. In Boston, you have to fight for your parking spots, right? And so to park her car, she has to get a permit on the street. And to, and to get a permit, it requires her to change her, her actual license plates. And so we were hoping not to do that because we were hoping to keep her on her insurance because once you change your license plates, then you actually have to get Boston, you have to actually get Massachusetts insurance. That's the state law. So in the midst of COVID, this isn't easy to do because if you make a DMV appointment or, you know, I don't know if you guys call it the DMV here, but 
then then you actually, if you're if somebody gets exposed to COVID, they shut down the whole drivers, you know, the motor vehicle department, and you have to wait to reschedule. Well, we've only got four days to do this, so you know. So my wife's trying to talk me out of this. She's like, you know, Dennis, this is going to take a miracle. You can't, you you're not going to get this done. And I'm like, well, I believe in miracles, you know, and and so I, I you know. For me, if you don't know me, my personality is when you tell me that you can't do something, it just means that there's another way to go about getting it done, right? And so I'm thinking that my, my wife knows this about me. I'm trying not to respond a lot, you know. And so she gently reminds me at one point, she says, you know, when Jordan was a little baby, we dedicated her to the Lord. And she kind of just let that sit. And what she was trying to say was, you know, that meant that we trusted that God would take care of her. And, you know, and that we wouldn't have to do everything for her. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, I don't know if I meant that. <laughs> you know, like that was easy to say when she was a little baby. I mean, because we, we could take her home with us and, and we could take care of her and make sure she's safe and she's okay. And, and, and you know, so I'm kind of like, you know, Lord, you know, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't fair, you know. And, and so, you know, to make a long story short, you know, really, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of control issues. I didn't know, you know, like I, I, I've, I've grown so much in the Lord. When I was younger, I was a control freak. I mean, because I came from a bad background, so you learn to be in control of things when your environment is out of control. That's kind of what you, you learn to try to do, right? And so, you know, over the years, I've been ministering for like 30-some years, and so, you know, in doing that, um, you know, you, I kind of grew a little bit, and, you know, I go with the flow. I'm not too uptight about most things most of the time anymore. I love the spontaneous, but when it came to my kids, yeah. oh, man. I didn't realize how much was still inside of me that felt like I needed to be in control. And so what I'm trying to do is I am literally trying to do everything to make sure that every problem or anything that could go wrong would be fixed before I would leave Massachusetts. And so, you know, um, you know, I'm happy to say that the car stuff got done, but there's a bunch of other stuff that did not get done um, that I felt like I needed to do. And so I leave, I have to leave knowing that everything isn't really the way I want it to be in place. And I'm broken. And this is the hardest thing. And some of you have already been through it. So I'm not trying to cry, you know, in a way that other people have been through it too. Uh, but like, I, that, I, I was broken, you know, having to leave in that kind of a state. And that was the hardest thing I ever done, dropping my daughter off, you know, that far across the country. And, and, and now just leaving and say, okay, you got to figure it out from here. So, the, so I, you know, I had a little time to work it out. The next morning, I was supposed to be speaking um, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, and so I'm, I'm there, and I'm sitting there. I haven't thought about anything that the Lord is saying at all. Everybody else is like, you know, what's God saying in 2021? You know, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with that because I think sometimes people feel pushed to perform and to come up with a word that maybe isn't necessarily, you know, necessarily God, but it's, you know, what they hope is God. And so, you know, uh, so I, I'm thinking about some of this, you know, my daughter. I'm not thinking about anybody, but now I'm in church, and I'm sitting there, and I'm about ready to be introduced. All of a sudden, I hear the Lord say to me, um, he speaks to me for the first time. He says, the war is not over. And he says, he says, the fight has just begun. And, you know, I actually didn't like that word. No. Um, you know, but I didn't like the word that I got the year before, which I might have shared with you guys going into uh, 20. Uh, uh, 20, because everybody was speaking about how it was going to be a year of, of perfect vision and all of this clarity. And to be honest with you, you know, um, I, I'm not mocking that because I actually do think that we actually may see way more right now um, than what we saw, what we would have, you know, thought we were going to see. It just happened differently than we imagined, right? Um, you know, we just think we're going, you know, straight into the glory part, and then we didn't have to go through anything to get there. Amen. Right. Um, and, and so I'm sitting there, and and I, and I I hear the Lord say that, but the year before He said that it was going to be to me. He said it was going to be a year of war, which it turned out to be a year of war in many different ways. You know, I remember telling my wife that, and she was kind of like. Eh, maybe, you know, I don't know. She wasn't really that moved by it. Um, and then, and, you know, it didn't seem like it was a big word to her. And, yeah, 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 yeah. You know how that is with your spouses. And I, you know, I get accused of the same thing, so I'm not trying to throw her in the bus, you know. And and then, you know, uh, you know, in the, at the same time, some pastor had called me actually here in California. He said, well, what's God saying to you this year? And I said, well, you know, I didn't really want to say because I, I was still trying to, you know, 
process like, you know, what is God going to do with this word, right? And, and, and I said, well, the Lord told me it was going to be a year of war. And he just says right out, yeah, I'm not getting that. You know? <laughs> and so I, I wasn't sure where I was. So I had two dreams and I had a vision from God. And, you know, but war, you know, you know, I was thinking probably, you know, when God said that I'm picturing tanks and, you know, boots on the ground and those kinds of things, not necessarily a coronavirus, you know, that, you know, we're having a war against an unseen virus or, or that, you know, riots are breaking out. And financial. I wasn't picturing it that kind of way, right? You know, as soon as you get something, but you don't really see it. And, and but the Lord would give me a word that the war is not all bad uh, because it's an opportunity to take territory. So here I am, fast forwarding into this year, and and the Lord speaks to me that the war is not over; um, that the fight has just begun. Now the reason why I didn't like that is because I felt like people would take that to be political, and I did not feel like that what God was saying was that it was a political aspect. But there was two things that I felt like God broke down for me. And one of them was that oftentimes when I speak to you, it's kind of what's something I've already said to you, is that things don't actually work out the way that you first imagined. The way that you practically walk them out is different than the way that you imagine when I first speak to you. And second of all, I felt like he was saying that what was in your hand in the last season uh, that caused you to be successful or to overcome or, or, you know, or whatever it might be to, that would allow you to be able to be moving into a place of success was not going to be what would allow you to win in the next season. That you were literally going to have to let go of what was in this hand and grab a hold of what God wanted to put in, the, the, in your other hand in the next season in order to be able to be successful and to walk in the overcoming thing that Jesus has for you in this season. Amen? And so the reason why I told you that whole story about being in control is because, you know, I, I really believe uh, that, that much of the church, not any of you here, I'm sure, but much of the church actually tried to do with the natural um, last season, especially when it came to some of the prophetic movement and stuff that was supposed to be done in the spiritual. And why do I know that? Because revelation gives authority and authority gives manifestation and manifestation gives transformation. We're not supposed to be living out of the flesh. We're supposed to be living out of the spirit. Yeah. We don't do things the way everybody else does it. We do them according to the revelation of God and the things that he speaks. And we do it out of the heart of God. So yeah. just this week, actually, the Lord came and visited me. And the Lord came and visited me. And he showed me a vision of both a picture of, of a dove and an eagle that came up out of the ground and began to fly together and began to circle around. And my, and, and my impression was that the circling around wasn't just one geographical area, but it was about a circling around of the body of Christ. And I felt like the Lord was saying that in this season, I'm bringing alignment to the body of Christ. And I'm using this season to bring alignment by causing not only an eagle that is about the prophetic and about hearing the voice of God for yourself in terms of revelation, but also the dove, which is about the presence of God. And I felt like the Lord, the Lord was speaking to me that we've had a church that oftentimes speaks, that, that hears my word and hears my voice and functions out of revelation. But they have forgotten my heart because they haven't necessarily functioned out of presence. And God, God is bringing, God is bringing the church into alignment as He is trying to give them a new hunger and a new thirst for His presence. Like I'm a, I'm a revelation guy, so like I, I, I believe in the voice of God and hearing the voice of God and. And doing what he says to do. But sometimes we can do the thing that God has asked us to do. And do the right thing. But miss the heart of God. Right. Yeah. And God doesn't care if you do the right thing. If you don't have the right heart. He, it's not that he doesn't, he doesn't want you to do the wrong thing. He wants you to do both. Right? He, he, it's not an if or and kind of scenario. It's like you have to have the presence as well as you have to have the word. Amen. Like revelation, <laughs> revelation without, without presence doesn't bring transformation. You've got to have presence, amen? Like, I mean, we're singing songs today. We're not just singing songs. We're discovering a person. Right. Amen? It's the person of Jesus. Right? I mean, oftentimes, you know, the church, 
we, we get in a place where we start to worship knowledge. And if we're not careful, we can start to even worship the revelation. Right. I mean, I like in the Old Covenant that there's a type, you know, in terms of a prophetic type when it comes to manna. And it talks about manna, you know, being the provision of God because that's what revelation is for you and I. But, but when manna was given by God as provision, it literally dried up in 48 hours. Right. Which meant the people of God actually had to trust and rely on God. To come up with something new. Within 48 hours. I'm not being legalistic like if you don't have a, a new word from God every 48 hours. But that means that there's supposed to be something fresh. So I'm saying that even when God is saying you got to let go of what's in one hand. And you got to grab a hold of it of what's in another hand. That means sometimes that you have to lay down even the revelation knowledge that you have in order to have a fresh word that God would update it into a place that it actually causes your heart to be changed and not just your head. Amen? This is, this is the season that we're in. If we want to be relevant, amen? You think about like, you know, Isaiah 60. And Isaiah 60 is an awesome scripture, but it really has the come and the go of the gospel, you know? And hopefully we, we never we never forget the go of the gospel. We're going to win people to Jesus Christ and to see people, you know, come to know his presence. But there's also this come, like you come to a garden and you come to a river. And it's just this, this aspect of the glory of God. You know, the Bible talks about the arising and the shining that really comes out of relationship with God. But it really talks about how the glory of God, which Moses had cried out for. And I don't have time for all of that this morning. But Moses had cried out for the glory of God. Think about that. Moses cries out for the glory of God in Exodus 33. And here's a man that has already experienced awesome miracles. And yet... And yet he recognizes that he needs the glory of God. He needs God to give him a revelation of his glory, which God hides him as an answer in the cleft of the rock, and he reveals his presence. You know, we cry out for the glory of God. It's not just the manifestation of the miracles, the manifestation of him. It's not like God brings all the miraculous because that's just who he is. Like, God doesn't perform for healing, so you don't just cry out for healing. You cry out for Him because healing is in the presence. Moses knows that he has nothing to offer the people. Like, he basically says, do not send me from this place unless you show me your glory. Because I've got nothing. He's seen the Red Sea part. You know, that seems significant in terms of a miracle, in terms of walking in signs and wonders of miracles. And yet he still knows he's got nothing. And yet oftentimes in the body of Christ, we get where we, you know, in leadership and, and, and different things. Sometimes we get where we think we've arrived at a place where we have something to offer to other people. And we're waiting for people to come and glean from our knowledge and experience. And yet Moses lays himself bare and says, I got nothing unless your glory comes. And unless I experience your presence, unless somehow you change my heart, right? And so the Bible says that the glory of God would come upon us. It's prophetic in Isaiah 60. And it says that the glory of God, I'm going back between Exodus 33 and Isaiah 60, in case you have the hard time following me in terms of jumping around. But like in Isaiah 60, it says the glory of God would come upon us and the glory of God would be seen on us. Meaning that there is a, there is a residue that rests on the people of God that have been in his presence. Not just people that know about God, but people that have been in His presence. And the Bible says that that residue is such that other people could actually see it on you. Like there's, there's something about the residue and the presence of God that actually causes there to be transformation. That people come in this place. This is where nations would be changed, right? It's when, when the wisdom that comes from the presence of God invades the natural... Like, like that, that's when kings come. They come when there's actually solutions that are, that are a result of the presence of God. Amen. They come and they have needs for it. This is what the Bible says is what is prophesied that will change the whole world. Not because we just do the right and the wrong. Like we oftentimes get this place of worshiping knowledge. You know, which is the first principles of what God taught us in Genesis. He says, he says, he says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the first thing he said to us. Why? Because if you eat of that tree, you'll think you're like me. 
You'll think you know right and wrong. And because you know right and wrong, what will happen is you will wrongly judge other people. You will wrongly judge yourself. And then you will get into this game of comparison. That so-and-so seems more righteous than I do. Or they don't seem as righteous as I am. And now you've, you've cre created a whole wrong system in which people can see him. Instead, they start to see something that is a counterfeit. They start to see something that doesn't reveal the heart of God himself. The Bible said, don't eat from that tree. Eat from the tree of life. It's my, it's my position that there's a thing in theology that's called original intention. Meaning that this is the original thing that God intended for his people. And the original intention of God, I believe, is that, that, that we would not even know right from wrong. Now we do today, right? We actually do because of the fall. We now know right from wrong because Adam and Eve actually ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the intention of God was that we would not eat from that tree and that we would eat from the tree of life and that out of eating from the tree of life, which is a prophetic picture of having a relationship with Jesus and being in his presence. And when we would eat from that tree, that we would get his heart. And when we got his heart, we would automatically do what was right because Jesus did what was right, right? And if we had his heart, we wouldn't do what was wrong because we would automatically do what was in his heart. And so we wouldn't be living out of a place of wrongness. Amen. I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to do right or wrong, but he wants to give us the heart so that we're doing it out of the right thing. Amen. We think about Jesus. He's fully God. He's fully man. Right. And Jesus, the Jesus, that means that Jesus actually has the capacity to sin. He never sins, but he has the capacity because he's fully man. Well, why is he fully? Why does he sin? Well, because the Bible says Jesus says, "I only do what I see the Father do. I only, I only speak the things that I hear the Father speak." See, the Father did not have capacity to sin. He was not fully man at that point. And so, if Jesus could keep his eyes on God, if he could keep his heart connected to God. Like he's getting up every morning and spending three and four hours with the Father. And out of that, he's doing ministry. But he goes and, and, and without effort, ministry begins to come out of this place. He's not, he's not struggling from that, that flesh aspect. But why? Because he's only doing what he sees the Father do. He's only speaking what he hears the Father speaking. Amen? This is a, this is a different way of living. Amen? I mean, God's not hiding from us. He's hiding for us. The Bible says that, that it, it's to the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's for the glory of kings to search it out. God's wanting us to chase after him. God's wanting us to have a new hunger and a thirst for his presence. So much of the time it feels like that what we do is that we function out of the limited rather than the unlimited. We get so caught up in the need that we have in the moment, and we expand all of our resources. I mean, all of our resources are limited. We have a limited amount of time. Everybody in this room has a limited amount of time. You have a limited amount of finances. You have a limited amount of connections, whatever it might be. And we use the limited somehow to save the unlimited. God, God, God wants, God wants us to, to get a revelation of the unlimited presence of God. Like, you know, you, when you go into the presence of God, like, it doesn't matter what your what your problems are. Like, you ever notice that? If you've, been, if you've spent any time with the Lord, like, you go in and, and, and there's all these problems, you know how to fix it, and, you're, and you feel unsettled about all this stuff. And then you get in the presence of God. When the presence of God comes and you're in the presence of God, all of a sudden the problems don't matter anymore. Right. It's not that the problems were fixed. It's just that... They're just not a big deal like they were at one time. Because now you're focused, you're focused on the presence. And you know that in his presence that that the answer to everything is actually in his presence. That's why he filled you with his presence and he gave you an inheritance of all of the sozo, of all of the healing, all of the protection, all of the provision, all the success, all the favor. He put that inside of you. 
And when you spend time with Him and you hear His voice, it awakens something inside of you. And it brings an alignment inside of you that causes your heart to align in a way with the Word that causes there to be a manifestation of Him rather than a manifestation of the flesh. That's what God's looking for in our time together. Amen? But, you know, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be functioning out of this place of an unlimited realm. That's why we were given a spirit so that we can bring that into the limited realm so that we can begin to see this realm changed. We can't change the other realm. The other realm was meant to change us. Amen? I mean, I think about a guy, uh, uh, let me tell you a story, because I, I got too theological for a little while, but, um, and I can tell the lights are going off, amen? But like, uh, there's a guy named, uh, uh, oh geez, what, what, uh, Father Nash, I, I almost got confused with another guy named Alfred Gar. The Father Nash, I don't know if you know the story of Father Nash, but Father Nash was a preacher that was up in uh, New York State, and about 1920s and stuff, kind of when Azusa Street Revival stuff was breaking out, and Father Nash was... Uh, uh, you know, was considered a failure. Why? Uh, because he got fired from his church. And the reason why he got fired from his church is because he prayed too much and he traveled too much. And go figure, some things never change. Amen? But like, you know, he got fired and so now he's still overseeing a network uh, of ministers and ordaining them. And so he's there and a young man walks in and he says, and he says that Father Nash looks like he's in a backslidden state. He looks like he's like not really into God that much. He's just kind of going through the motions and he's praying to open up his meeting. And this young man walked in. And so it just so happens that this young man's name is Charles Finney. Well, Charles Finney, if you don't know who Charles Finney is, Charles Finney, uh, uh, you know, preached revival meetings in this nation. And hundreds of thousands of people back in, in, the, in the early 1900s were coming to Jesus. He wasn't just preaching meetings where, where it was easy to preach the gospel, where everybody was excited about it. He would go up into logging camps where men were just looking to blow off steam and have revival break out in, in, these, in, in these logging camps. And then, you know, he would go into small towns and small meetings and he would take them and, and he'd see revival begin to break out. People being healed, uh, uh, people coming to Jesus, obviously, you know, you know, even having dead people be raised from the grave. I mean, one of the stories about Charles City is that the presence of God rested so strongly upon him that when he was riding on a train by New York City, that actually people begin to fall off of their bar stools and repent and give their life to Jesus. Talk about a presence of God that not only was on him, that came upon him, but actually could be seen on him. Amen? Because seen doesn't necessarily just mean a visible thing. It's about that there's a, there's a, there's a communication that other people that don't know him are sensing that there's something different that is not just of what it is that they have known from the natural. Amen? There's something powerful about what's going on. And so, you know, so Charles Finney, he's a great, he's a mighty man of God. You know, there's lots of books that are written about this guy. And and so Father Nash and him end up team, teaming up. Well, Father Nash actually ends up finding his, his uh, success in being an intercessor. And so he would go into like the, the, the towns before Charles Finney would ever go into them and preach revival. And he would go in and he'd rent like a room or, or, or a basement area. And he, and he would just pay like a little bit of money. And, and he would just get in these rooms or like this dark, dusky kind of basement. And he would get down there and he'd pray. And sometimes he had some other guys praying with him. And he was known to pray till blood literally would come out of his nostrils with such intensity. And then, and then like one time a woman uh, came out and rented a room when Charles Finney got there. And said, man, this guy, he's... he's these guys have been in there for like three days and haven't come out for food or water. And, 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 you know, I don't know if they're okay. And there's some weird noises coming out, you know, and, and from them praying and groaning. And, and, and so he says, don't worry. They're just praying. And there's just the groaning in the spirit. And so, you know, so this is the kind of tips that they pray for. Father Nash never even went into the meetings. You know, he was never considered to be successful. Most people, he thought he was a failure, you know, from an outward standpoint. And here this man was praying behind the scenes all the time. Never went on the platform. Never got any recognition. And here's what happened. At the end, Father Nash dies. And when he dies, you know, they actually found him in the posture of prayer. He was on his knees when he prayed. You know, and when he died. And, and, and so he's... He's in that position, and now, afterwards, Charles Finney's preaching meetings, and he stops one of the revival meetings, and he, and he makes an announcement. He says, he says, we're no longer going to be doing revival meetings 
Because the presence of God is no longer the same in our revival meetings since Brother Nash passed away. That's a big statement. This is the mighty man of God. Hundreds of thousands of people coming to Jesus. Seeing miracles everywhere that he goes. And he says, he stops the meeting. I'm not saying he's not a mighty man of God because I believe that he was. He says that the presence of God is not the same since Father Nash is gone. There's nobody else. There's no other Father Nashes to pick up his place. And then we'll go after the presence of God the way that Father Nash does. And something's changed in the atmosphere in a way we're not seeing the same manifestation of the presence of God in our meetings. We need some new Father Nashes to rise up in this generation that don't actually need recognition or need to be known or need just to build their own thing, but just have a heart for the things of God. Amen? You know, I, I kind of wonder in the middle of this pandemic stuff, you know, I know Pastor was kind of touching on some of it, you know, with the, you know, there's people over here on this extreme and people on this other extreme. And, and, and you know, there's a couple of things that really I thought was crazy, you know. Um, one is, why is the church so angry? Like, so many people in the church were angry. I could not figure that out. Like, you know, I, mean, I understand being disappointed. And, but, like, you know, when I was younger, because I came from a bad background, you know, like, um, you know, my dad would beat my mom. He'd beat me, you know, like on a regular basis, you know, growing up and stuff. And so, you know, I kind of developed some anger issues, honestly, you know. And so my mom tried to send me to counseling. And so I'm like, you know, you know, she said, I don't want to find out why you're so angry. I thought it was obvious, but still she thought I needed to go. So I ended up in, in counseling. And I remember the counselor said two different things. One, you know, uh, uh, he said, you know, you should stop and ask yourself why you're so angry, you know, before you act on your anger. And I thought, well, that made a little bit of sense if you were a disciplined person, but I wasn't, right? So, uh, you know, you know, maybe it made sense to stop and say, why am I angry before I just slug someone in the head? But, you know, I, I thought I'd try it. It didn't work out real well at first because I wasn't born again. Um, and, and so, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to change either, to be honest with you at that point. And, and then he said one other thing that, I, that always stuck with me. And he says, you know why people act out on anger in an unhealthy way? It's because it's the people, when people do that, they're doing that because they're trying to get control of a situation that they feel out of control. And I thought that was a good prophetic word for the church right there. I think that the church got so angry in certain capacities of the church that got so angry that they had a need to get back in control because they felt like things got so out of control. And we were supposed to put our trust in Jesus. We were never supposed to be in control. That's what Christianity was all about. When we gave our lives to Jesus, we died to an old nature. We gave up our control. We gave him our control. That's why I told you the story about my daughter. Because I was being vulnerable and I had control issues that I didn't even know that I had. I had issues with control that I thought that I had dealt with but sometimes there's stuff inside of us sometimes whether it gets provoked or the enemy gets us off track with a subtle thing somehow that causes us to go in this direction but all of a sudden we find that there's stuff in us that we didn't even know was there or stuff that somehow began to bubble up and was provoked in a way and that's exactly what the enemy wants it's Ephesians chapter 6, right? He says, be careful of the deceptions or the schemes of the enemy because he's trying to get you caught up in drama and trying to get you to react to things that you're not supposed to react to. You know, I think about, you know, Joshua. You know, Joshua chapter 5 has really been on my heart um, a, a, a lot here lately. And, um, you know, that's some, one of the things that I feel like that, that the, the Lord is, is using to bring some alignment um, to what God is doing this time. And in Joshua chapter 5, it actually, you know, you have to go back to Joshua chapter 4, actually, to get it. But, you know, God had told Joshua, he said, he said, see, I have already given you the city. And he was talking about Jericho. Like, but, but, you know, scholars said that where Joshua was standing when God said that to him, that it was impossible for him to see the city of Jericho. It would be like, you know, like all of us going out in the parking lot here and God says, see, I'm giving you the city of L.A. It's impossible to see. Like God's always asked his people to see things that they could not see. And I think that's what he asks of you today. He says, see, I've given you salvation. 
I've given you sozo. I have given you inheritance. I put it inside you. You actually own this now. It's you. What? You've already been healed. You've already been provided for. You've already protected. But he asks you to see what you can't see. He says, see what I've already given to you. It's past tense. It's not in. And by what? He's not possessing the city. In the natural, he hasn't possessed anything. Oh, uh uh-oh. My mic did a weird thing, huh? I don't know, just fell off my ear. Praise the Lord. <laughs> all right, I'll just try to speak out of this like this. Is that all right? Uh, oh, the whole thing came off. The whole thing came off. I'm sorry for that. I don't know what happened. Some my bill. Okay. All right, so he says, see, I've already given you the city. Now, 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 Joshua, you know, he doesn't just have to have one encounter. He has to have several encounters. Oftentimes in the faith movement, you know, it's, it's a thing where people think, well, God just speaks one time and that's all I need. Well, that's not really biblically accurate. God speaks and God has to keep showing up over and over again in order to reaffirm what he says as well as to have encounters with his people. I don't know why it's doing that. Is that just, if I put it back in my ear, will that be better? Are you still following me even though it's a little distracting? Yeah. Uh, amen. Hopefully... Hopefully that'll work. Amen. You know, so so Joshua, Joshua, you know, he just he just took command because Moses just died. Moses didn't get to go in because he didn't trust God. Joshua and Caleb got to go in because they did trust God. I don't have time for all of the breakdown of those stories, but that's so Joshua is, Joshua now has to learn to operate in a different way than he's ever operated before. He has to learn to do things in a in a brand new way. And so Joshua, you know, he's, he, he's got this word from the Lord. And now he finds himself on the side of the Jordan River. Here he is on the side of the Jordan River. And he can't get into the promised land to actually see the manifestation of the word that God gave him to take the city of Jericho. And unless God shows up, he can't get in there. So he has to have an encounter of God. Why? He needs God to open up the Jordan River the same way that God opened up the Red Sea for Moses. Otherwise, the people won't think that Joshua is in command and that the presence of God is not with Joshua the same way that it was with Moses. And so and so Joshua standing there and he's having a conversation with God and he has an encounter with God. He has an encounter with God that actually allows the, the Jordan River to open up. So he goes into the Jordan River he gets to cross the Jordan River, opens up all the people, and they all get to go in the promised land. So now, God commands them again. There's some other instructions, some things that have to be done in order to get into the place that God is calling them to go, to live in the promises of which God had spoken to them. And so, God tells them that they all got to circumcise now. I'm sure your pastor, he'll, he'll be happy to follow up with a three weeks series here on that, but I'm going to kind of skip over that, you know, for the moment, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, um, you know, go to the next part, but after they circumcise all of the men now, now the, now Joshua is standing there, and he needs, he needs God to show up again, because he's about ready to go into Jericho, and he's about ready to fight a battle against, against a city with fortified six-foot walls that nobody's ever penetrated in history. He needs another miracle. It wasn't enough just to have the word. He needs another miracle. You know, I think it's interesting because because God, I think God makes it that way on purpose. Like like you know, at one point, you know, God tells Abram in Romans, He says, He says, you know, Paul writes about. It, he says, He says that God called Abram out to a place that he did not know where he was going. Like you think about that for a minute. Like, what if you told your family you were about ready to go someplace that you didn't know where you're going? What if you told your friends they didn't think you're crazy? Right? I mean, I just met a couple here, not just recently, and that's what they said. Well, I felt like we felt like God's calling us out, so we rented a motorhome, and we're about ready to go out and do something. We don't even know where we're going. And I, and I said, hey, your family thinks you're kind of crazy, huh? They don't know what to do with them. Well, you can't do that. You need to know where you're going. You've got to be somewhere, right? Well, that's what God did with Abram. He gave him a direction, but he gave him no destination. It, you know, I, I think God does that on purpose. Because it, I don't know about you, but like, if I just, sometimes, don't you just want somebody to tell you what to do? 
You ever want that? Like, just, just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. I can get the thing done if you just tell me what to do. And, and you know, but the problem is that we run ahead and we just do it in our own ability. And, and sometimes we forget, we have a tendency to forget that we need Him. And that we don't need Him just because of the thing that's supposed to get done. But we need Him because we, we're supposed to want Him. He's supposed to be our everything. We're supposed to love Him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. He's supposed to be our everything, so we're supposed to want Him more than the accomplishment of a task. And so, you know, God, God does that because He keeps you in step with Him. So that the journey would be a place of walking together with Him. Because He wasn't really interested in what you could do for Him as much as He wanted to be connected to you. He wanted to do the journey together. So here Joshua's, you know, he's in the promised land. And he's standing there. He's contemplating this battle. And he has to have another encounter with God. I think it's interesting to go back to Exodus 33, 20. You know, where God asks for the, the glory of God. But it says there, it says there, If any man sees my face... It says he shall die. Some translations actually say he cannot live. But the actual Hebrew translation actually says, if any man sees my face, if anybody gets a revelation of my face or a revelation of me, is what it's saying when it says show. It says they cannot remain the same. It's prophetic about who you and I are in Christ. That if you actually have an encounter with God, it's not, just, it's not just speaking just about salvation, although it's prophetic in that. But like, how do you know if you're playing religion? Because you have an experience, but you come out the same. But see, if you're genuinely like in the presence of God and going after the presence of God himself, the Bible says that if you see him and you get a revelation of that, that you will not be able to remain the same person. You'll be changed. Why? Because revelation actually causes your heart to change. It causes you to change and and you see something and you come out different. It's not just that you have been made changed. See, the whole Christian life is about discovering what it is that you've been given. And you've been given the life of Christ, which is your new identity. And the presence of God, the revelation of God, helps you to discover what and who you are so that now you can actually line up your, not only your identity, but your behaviors. Because you begin to act out of who you are. Amen? And you know, so here's Joshua standing there, getting ready to go into the promised land in Joshua chapter 4. And he looks to his side, and there's a man with a sword. And then during, and during intercessory time, or prayer time before, before the service, people kept talking about how they saw a sword. And so, and so the, here's a man who's standing there with a sword in his hand. And Joshua asked him, he says, are you for us or are you for our enemy? And the guy says, no, neither. I'm not for either one. I'm not for you and I'm not for your enemy. Now, I know that's challenging theologically because sometimes people are like, well, I thought God was for me. Well, I think the point is that God is for you, but he isn't necessarily going to do things the way you want to do them. Amen. And so Joshua is standing there and he asks this guy. See, now Joshua has to be careful because if Joshua like overreacts, what ends up happening? Okay. He could kill the guy. And the guy could be on his side. So now he kills somebody that's going to fight for him. Or if Joshua is too passive, the guy could kill him. And then now the leader would be killed. And now he wouldn't be able to, to be able to lead the people of Israel, the people of God, into the promised land. Amen. And so Joshua stands there. He says, and, and, and then the guy replies. He says, "He says I'm, I am the prince of the Lord's host for which I have now come." And he's literally saying, "I'm the Lord." And Joshua started to get a revelation. He started to get a revelation from God. It's not about whether God's on my side. It's not about whether my enemy's on God's side or on my side. It's about whether I'm on God's side. What is God doing? What is God saying? How does God want to show himself? How does God want to reveal his heart in this moment and this time? So Joshua starts to get a revelation. And the, God, the, the Lord says, take off your shoes. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. 
It required another encounter. But Joshua had a word from the Lord. See, I've given you the city. He had an encounter where God spoke to him and the Jordan River opened up before him. But yet, God still needed another encounter even after the circumcision and the obedience. He still needed another encounter that was not just about the assignment. It was not just about the revelation. It wasn't just about what God spoke. But God still had some heart change that he wanted to do inside of Joshua. That Joshua thought that he could go do the assignment for the Lord. And it was the right thing to do. But yet Joshua had a heart that was not necessarily in line with what God wanted to do in that moment. And so in that moment, God begins to, to get, begin to reveal himself in such a way that now he has to recognize, Hey, I've been doing this thing for the Lord. And thinking that the Lord has got to get on my side now to do this. And he's on my side already. But God wants to reverse the whole thing. And he wants me to recognize my heart needs to be about what he's doing rather than what I'm doing. And so Joshua's standing there. And he's having this encounter with God. And now at the end of the encounter, here, here comes the human nature side. I get this so much because I like to be busy. I like to do things. And here, Joshua, he's a warrior. He's ready to go to battle. He's asking the Lord, like, what do I do? Just tell me the assignment now. I'm ready. I've had, you tell me the word. I've had the encounter where we did the thing of the Jordan River. And I was, and I did the obedience thing. And now you showed up and now my heart's right. And Joshua's like, just let me do this thing. I'm a warrior. This is what I was meant to do. I was born to fight. Just tell me what to go do, Lord. And now I know for sure there's going to be victory. And instead... God says to Joshua, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go on a walk. We're going to go on the most boring walk that you've ever been on. We're going to go around the same place six times over and over again where you don't even get to see anything new. It's like driving through Wyoming, okay? And, and so, you know, they're walking, you know, and so then God says, you know, and then what we're going to do? We're going to sing some songs. What do you mean I'm a warrior? I'm a fighter. I'm good with the sword. This is what I do, right? Let me do what I do for you, Lord. He's like, and then you know what? We're even gonna we're even gonna blow some horns. Just like, well, what am I gonna do? And God didn't want him to do anything. He wanted to do it by the Spirit. Even in the old covenant. Even in the book of Joshua, when they compare it with the book of Ephesians as being a parallel book, that what they did in the natural, we're supposed to do by the Spirit. It was prophetic that God didn't want them to do it by the natural. He wanted them to do it by the Spirit of God. Where there would be authority, it would cause there to be manifestation, it would cause there to be actual transformation in the earth. Amen? I try to figure out today, because you know, like there's a whole bunch of people today where it feels like ministry is not enough anymore. Like preaching Jesus, seeing people touched by Jesus, doing kingdom, you know, and then people will be like, well, what else are you going to do? What do you mean I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm doing what God called me, called me to do. People get so caught up into transformation that they forget about the presence of God and the heart of God and the simplicity of the gospel. Do you, you know, you, you never graduate from the glory. When God brings you into a place of influence, it's important not to forget where you came from. But you come from that place of the fires of revival and the presence of God and the glory of God. Amen? See, Joshua, I am closing this up. And Joshua, Joshua doesn't do one thing. He doesn't do one thing. He surrenders. He surrenders and he hears what the Lord says to do. And he does what the Lord says to do, which is nothing. And God actually brings the victory. And the walls of Jericho fall down. And there was a fulfillment of his promise. Amen? One last story, and I'm going to close this. Amen? There's this, uh, the guy I was talking about earlier. His name is Alfred Gar. Alfred Gar was a guy that pastored a church in Azusa. And Azusa, um, you know, it was like a Methodist church. It wasn't a charismatic church. And it was a, and it was a big church. It was a thousand people. That was a mega church in that day. Amen? And, and he's pastoring this church and one day he goes out for a walk he's a very successful pastor he goes out for a walk and he walks by this building and when he walks by this building um, he hears worship and he hears prayer coming from the, in the room and so and it's like a factory and it's like a barn and so he goes in and he sees the worship he sees the worship 
going on in this guy's prayer. There's like 10 or 12 of them. And he feels the presence of God. And he, and he, and he, he feels like there, there is something different about the presence of God here than there is in his own church. He actually ends up getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. He goes back and he tells a couple of his elders and his friends about it and stuff like that. They said, there's something going on in this church that's not going on in our church. The presence of God is different. So they go there they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. This happens over about a, a couple week period of time. He goes back to his church. He stands in front of his church and he says this. He says, I have an announcement to make. He says, I believe that the Holy Spirit is telling me that we're supposed to shut down this church and we're supposed to become a part of the church down the street. Now, hear me, I'm not telling you to shut down your church. Pastor John's looking at me right now. That's not what I'm saying at all, all right? There's a bigger point here, amen? All right, all right. This prophet is a liar. No, uh, well, praise God. But he's, he's, he, he stands up there, and so after the service, his wife comes up to him and says this. Uh, he says, honey, I'm paraphrasing. If you do this, I'm going to leave you. And so he goes, well, if you want to leave me, I can't stop you. Uh, and you, I guess you have to do what you have to do. But he says, I would just ask you to do one thing before you decide to leave me. And he goes, I would just ask you to go to one service with me at the, at the church down the street and find out for yourself whether it's God or not. So she agrees. So she goes to the church with him. She's sitting in her chair, and the Holy Spirit knocks her out of her chair. And she ends up getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the denomination was really mad at them, didn't want anything to do with them anymore, was trying to talk them out of their decision. But instead, now, so this guy with 100,000 people in his church now gives up his salary, gives up his church, and he decides to sit underneath this ministry. He decides to sit in this ministry for one year and learn everything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The pastor's name was William Seymour. William Seymour was a black African-American guy that got the baptism of the Holy Spirit out of humility when white people, Caucasian people, wouldn't allow him to be in the same room to actually receive the teaching of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he sat in a closet with his door open, like cracked like this. William Seymour, like when he came to Azusa, he started preaching with a paper bag over his head with one eye cut out because he didn't want anybody to give him the credit for preaching the gospel. It's a little bit different than TBN today, amen? Where everybody wants to get, you know, everybody to know them, right? He didn't want that kind of a credit, amen? And so here he is, here he is in the, in the, in, they're at this church and they're waiting. They gave up all of their salary. What the church could not have done with 12 people, it can now do with 100,000 people and all of the resources of 100,000 people. Azusa Street Revival broke out not because a man built his ministry, but because he died to it. We need a different generation that has the heart of God. And God has a bigger plan because when you die to something, the Bible says, unless a seed dies, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will not bear much fruit. It will not rise up and bear much fruit. And here, this man died to his ministry. At the end of one year, the Lord calls him and his wife to go to China. They spent all of their savings, except for a little bit. They used it to buy flights and a couple weeks um, to be able to sustain themselves once they got to China. They start preaching in an underground church. And at the end of their time of preaching with this church about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and God moves. At the end of it, they come out and they say, hey, what do we do with all of our tithes and offerings? They go, we've been saving it for three and a half years. Uh, this church in China had no idea what the offerings were for. They just, thought, they just knew they were supposed to take them. So they just kept putting them in this big bucket. They just kept piling up. And then they said, what do we do with it? And they used this, this money to finance their journey in China to preach the gospel throughout China. So now God not, is not just doing a move of God in the United States in terms of Azusa Street. He moves us to China as well. It goes throughout the nation. And today China is about ready to overtake the United States with the most Christian people in any one nation because a man gave up his ministry. God actually promoted him. It all had to do with heart. That all came out of presence. Not just about knowing to do the right thing. Amen? Hope you got something out of that this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we don't want to just be a people, Lord God, that run ahead and forget you. We don't want to just do our own thing, Lord God. We want to be on your page. So we're asking, Lord God, I'm asking you this morning that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for your presence. For your revelation and your presence, Lord God. Lord, we 
Help us to relinquish control. Help us to relinquish things that we're holding on to, Lord God, of the last season in order to grab a hold of that which you have for us in this season. Even if it's just fresh revelation, Lord God, because you need to renew our heart in your presence. Touch us, O God. Revive us, O God. For, Lord God, we know that this is the greatest hour to be alive. That even in the even in the worst circumstances and situations, you always do your best work. And you're preparing your bride. You didn't miss it, God. You're right on time. You're preparing us and you're aligning us, Lord God, for the greatest move that this planet has ever seen. The greatest harvest that this planet has ever seen. With all our eyes closed and heads bowed just for a moment, I don't know everybody in the room. But you may be here this morning and don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you would like to make sure that you're right with Him before you leave. Whether you're recommitting your life to Jesus or you never have given your life to Jesus before. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The word truth actually is a word that means reality. Jesus wants to change your reality. He wasn't just trying to fix you up and make you better. He was trying to give you a brand new life. If you're here this morning, the Bible says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. That means nobody's perfect. Nobody can earn it. Jesus was the only one that could earn it on your behalf. And all you can do is receive him and what it is that he has for you. And he has his very best in mind for you. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I know Jesus or I'm not sure that I'm right with him. And I want you to pray for me. I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand right where you're at. Just slip it up high in the air and say, yes, Pastor, thank you right there. Anybody else this morning? Slip your hand high in the air so I can see it. So that way I make sure that I know that I'm praying for you. Right over there. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Let's give the Holy Spirit just a moment. Jesus wants to take all of the obstacles and all of the things. And he wants to turn them in a way that he's going to be good use. Thank you, ma'am. I see that hand there, too. Thank you. Anybody else this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, ma'am. I'm not going to make people come forward because of some of the protocols and stuff with CDC and all of those things and stuff right now. But right where you're sitting, I'm just going to I'm just going to ask you to pray with me, okay? So can we all just stand where we're at right now? And extend your hands just toward heaven. And where you're standing right now, it's not any less powerful that you receive Jesus right where you are. I'm going to I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer with me. So Jesus, I'm asking, Lord God, that you would touch those that lifted up their hand, that you would give them new life. Lord God, that you would help them to sense, Lord God, the new thing that you're doing inside of them. We command every obstacle and every single thing that has hindered their lives up until this point to be broken, Lord God. And we, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would help them by the Holy Spirit to do what they have been unable to do for themselves. So right now, just pray with me, church. Jesus, I'm asking you right now, to come into my life. To forgive me of my sins. Today I've chosen to die. And I receive your new life. Now help me Holy Spirit. To live for you. Show me your heart. And speak to me. So that I'll know how to do what I don't know how to do. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. I'm going to pray one, two, over two, three people will be done. Thank you, Jesus. For you, ma'am, right there in the name of Jesus. I just feel like the Lord wants to speak to you. And I just feel like the Lord says he has something special for you in this season. And I feel like the Lord says that some of your dreams that they've been on hold. And the Lord says... But those dreams that have been on hold, the Lord says not to forget them again. It's not too late and it's not past by. But the Lord says you're supposed to take those dreams off of the shelf. The Lord says I'm going to use it. The Lord says that you have been actually, you've been actually uh, uh, following after thinking that somebody else is more important. You're supposed to invest in that. But the Lord says not to forget what I've actually given to you in this season. And you've been in a place of indecision and you felt like you've been alone. And you felt like that somehow you don't know that there's alignment to be able to do what it is that you need to do. The Lord says that you go forward and you do what you're supposed to do. And the Lord says, I will bring alignment in your home. 
And the Lord says that I am not done. And the Lord says even the bantering and the things that have been said to you to try to diminish your thinking about yourself, the Lord says, the Lord says you're not to believe that. You're not to come into agreement with that because I am going to do something that's going to cause even the one that does not understand to be jealous of what it is that I do with you. It's going to cause alignment in your home and your family in Jesus' name. And the Lord says there's even some people that are actually extended family. The Lord says that I'm going to break down the walls uh, and I'm going to restore a relationship in this season. Uh, there's one in particular that you've felt close to before that God actually wants to like, he wants to heal that. And it's going to happen in the next four to six months without effort. There's going to be a phone call that's going to open that up for you in Jesus' name. Does that make some sense to you? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We give you some praise. Amen. If, if anybody, I know you guys are um, here for a little bit, so I can close it up. But um, um, if you want prayer, I don't need to do this for show. Um, but I, I did. But I, I want I want you to know that God speaks. Yeah. And it's just a confirmation of his speaking. Amen. That he's doing something new. And so his presence, you know, that comes from a place of presence. Uh, and out of his presence, God begins to speak to you. Amen. And he does new things. Lift your hands with me for just a moment. Lord, I pray for that strained Achilles right now in the name of Jesus to be healed. The pain to come out right now in Jesus' name. The pain in the lower foot right now too, Lord God, and in the right side right now in, in that in that um, arch right now, Lord God, I command it heal in Jesus' name. The digestive pain, Lord God, that's in the stomach or the abdomen, Lord God, lower uh, intestines right now on the left side, Lord, I command it heal in Jesus' name. Be made whole. Adrenal gland right now. Be healed. By your stripes, Lord God, your people are healed. The left rotator cuff right now, Lord God.